You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. My name is Jesus Rodriguez, Chuy Rodriguez. And uh, today, uh, but before I start, thank you everyone for praying for my wife. She is back at home after uh, a blood transfusion yesterday. She's stable. She has not slept, so it's good that she's um, that we're not at the house so that she can rest a little bit. Uh, thanks for your prayers, your messages. Uh, anyone who's sent food, it's uh, you guys are amazing. I, I've never felt uh, so much love in the church, honestly, I, and you guys are, have been amazing, so thank you for that. <clears throat> with that said, and because of some of the complications, I wasn't able to continue with my sermon on the book of Acts, so I'm reheating a sermon from uh, a few years ago. I hope it blesses you. Um, yeah, pastors have usually those uh, ready back in the back pocket just in case. So I'm pulling one, and today we're going to be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, and uh, the title of this message is Jesus, uh, the Good Shepherd. And again, as a church, we always want to make sure we, um, whatever passage of scripture topic we talk about, uh, we focus on the gospel. And today is going to be a very uh, good passage to do that. So let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into our passage this morning. Um, Dear God, thank you for your mercy and faithfulness. Thank you for being so good with us. Um, Thank you for church community and family. Thank you because we can love and serve each other as I've uh, felt and my family has felt loved and cared for this week. And I pray that um, we will continue to do it because that's what you've done for us uh, in the gospel. Uh, You've given your life uh, as a sacrifice Because you love us for our benefit and for our salvation. In the name of Jesus, I pray that today your Holy Spirit will move and um, touch our hearts, our minds, and transform us into the image of your Son, Jesus, and bring salvation here today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. (coughs) So, uh, I really like this text, and... um, it, it actually shows how Jesus cares for his people. What is it that he's trying to, to do, how he's doing it. And it shows us the kind of shepherd or the kind of pastor we have. And it's also a great te- text because it reminds us that even though we have human pastors or, uh, or elders, we have the perfect uh, one that will, ever, that will ever exist, the one that never fails you, and um, that is Jesus. And <clears throat> we also see a contrast today of the opposite of that, which uh, we'll, we'll get into in, in a few minutes. So first of all, um, <clears throat> this, this uh, narrative of John begins in, in chapter 9. <clears throat> Sorry. And similar to last week, uh, this is Jesus now, not Peter, healing a blind man. And I, I, I mentioned last week that Jews... Uh, traditionally thought that if you had a birth defect or you had an illness, it was because somebody sinned. And in fact, this is the chapter in chapter uh, 9 of uh, the book of John, where the, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, look at this man. He's blind. He's been blind from birth. Who sinned, 
Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus responds and says, nobody sinned. It's just to display God's power in him. So Jesus go, goes ahead and heals the man. And this causes problems. The Pharisees come. They don't like what they see. They don't like that a man was healed, which is ridiculous. And they start questioning the man and his family to the point that they're pressuring them because they don't want the, the blind man or his family to say that Jesus healed him or give glory to Jesus. In fact, in, in chapter 9 of John, in, the, in verse 22, we are told that his parents said these things because they were, when, when, the, when the Pharisees questioned the parents, they said, we don't know, ask him. And, and verse 22 says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ or the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogues. They were going to kick him out of the synagogue, out of the, their church, just because he was healed and he, he thought or uh, uh, said that Jesus was the Christ. So the blind man responds after being interrogated constantly. And in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 9, he says, If this man were not from God, referring to Jesus, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. So this is what's happening. Jesus heals a man. The Pharisees get angry. They interrogate this blind man. This man says that, he, that Jesus is a Christ, and they kick him out of the synagogue. So this is what happened. And our, our passage today happens right after this incident. <coughs> so this is what we're going to see. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. This is Jesus' response after he learns what happened with the blind man. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the ship, the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are, the th are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. <clears throat> I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired man and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one take the, takes it from me, but I lay, down my, uh, I, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so my first point today, the first thing we see is that Jesus came as our shepherd to gather his sheep. But then the first thing he does in responding to these Pharisees is he's comparing the shepherd with what he calls robbers and thieves or hired hands. And this is important for us because if you notice, one of the common characteristics between uh, the thief and the robber and the hired hand that was described in this passage is that they don't care for the sheep. They care for themselves. And this, in a way, is the perfect description of what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee someone is someone that cares not about others, but actually a Pharisee is someone that uses God to bless himself or exalt himself or care about himself. What we see in this passage is that Jesus is rebuking, in a way, these people who were angry because he healed a blind man, and he's calling them robbers and thieves or hired hands, people who do not care for the sheep. These are people who care about themselves, and they excuse themselves with rules and regulations. These are people that only want to do what's right for their own sake because that's what they do. These are the legalistic people. But the Pharisees, the legalistic people, have one thing in common as well. They don't care about God, even though they say they do, and they don't care about others. They care about themselves. So the essence that Jesus, or the, the, the common denominator that Jesus is calling out is selfishness. He's saying the, the Pharisees, the robbers, the false shepherds are people who are selfish. They only care about themselves. These people just witnessed the healing of a blind man. And instead of rejoicing with the man, they kick him out of the synagogue because he wasn't done the right way. Or he was saying that somebody was the Christ and they did not agree with that. So a Pharisee, a higher hand, a thief, a robber, is someone who is selfish, who only cares about themselves. Their reputation is important. Their name is important. What other people think about them is important. 
and they'll do whatever it takes to exalt themselves. That's what a Pharisee does. And then Jesus compares himself with them, and he calls himself the door. The first thing he calls him, himself is the door. And he actually, t- we'll, we'll develop this in, in, in a little bit. <clears throat> but he actually tells us that s- the people, the thieves, the higher hands, bypass the door in order to get to the sheep. And I want to make, uh, I, w- I want to talk to you about something that's important. In this, in this society today, what we see in, in, in Christianity is there's a lot of people that claim to be sh- uh, shepherds, to be pastors, to be leaders. There's a lot of people that will use the Bible or use Jesus to get to all of us. But ultimately, and you might agree with me or not, they want to benefit themselves and not necessarily benefit the people. And what they do and Jesus is describing this, they, is they bypass the door. They climb the door. They do not use the door to access people. They climb or find other ways to get to the people in order to benefit themselves. That's what Jesus says in verse, in verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. But the other people, they bypass the door. And this is important for us to understand because if you don't use the, the door the correct way, you are basically a false prophet, a thief, a false teacher, a Pharisee. And we'll develop this in a minute, but this is important for us to understand. Is that the door, going through the door, utilizing the door correctly is important to be a good shepherd. There are ways to use the door incorrectly. And again, these people bypass, jump, do not use the door correctly. But there's something that's important for us to know before we develop this topic of the door, is that real sheep know the voice of their shepherd. It's, I find it very interesting that the, Jesus continues to say that the sheep hear the voice or his voice and they listen to him. They follow him. And he, the shepherd, calls his sheep by name and leads them out. And this is something we continue to see. The shepherd knows his people. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for them. There is this interaction in which the sheep know the, the, the voice of the shepherd. And this is important for us to know. First of all, if you are a believer, I want to challenge all of us to understand this in light of knowing the word of our shepherd. If you consider yourself a sheep, if you believe that you are a sheep, Or in order to be a good sheep, we need to learn to hear and know the word of our shepherd. And this is important to know today. 
And I'm saying this and I'm highlighting this because in contrast to the opposite of that, the hired men, the thieves, all of those people actually benefit from the fact that some people who think they're sheep, they don't recognize the voice of their shepherd. In fact, the sheep that do not know the voice of their shepherd are the easiest ones to prey on. Right? I was looking at, uh, uh, through, through the internet the other day, and I found this cult of a lady that is called uh, the mother of God. Uh, let, me, let me find. Uh, there is a cult in Korea. It's called the World Mission Society Church of God. And it's a Korean lady that is called the Heavenly Mother. And people worship her. And the first time I saw that, I was like, I don't think they're going to have a lot of people. Like, if you believe in those things, you probably, I don't know, I don't, I don't think she's going to have a lot of followers. Well, turns out their followers or her followers are counted by the millions. And this is one example of the kind of sheep that do not know the word of their shepherd and can easily be misled. They are easy to be preyed on. I grew up in the Christian church. I've been a part of a lot of different denominations and movements. And I can tell you that I was easy to prey on for a long time. Because all I was after was my own benefit and whatever the pastor said or the apostle said or the prophet said or the cool preacher said, that was what influenced my life. But the moment I started learning the word of my shepherd, things began to change. My eye became more critical and I was constantly evaluating what people said in light of the voice, the word of my shepherd. And this is important for us to know because this continues to happen today. We need to know the voice of our shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, his word. He calls his own by name and he leads them out. Not only that, that is important, but it is also important for us to know that even though we might not sometimes know the, vo the voice or the word of our shepherd, our shepherd is so good that he calls us by name. So he's not this guy who's calling everybody, and if you don't hear his voice, he'll just walk out and leave you alone. No, that's not the kind of God we have. Our shepherd calls us by name. He knows each individual sheep. Just think about this. We're talking about Jesus, the creator. He knows each one of us, his sheep, by name. He's not just throwing the net and see what he catches. No, he is going to fish individually. This is a God who calls you by name, who knows you like he knows the Father. He is a God who is present, who is here with you, who is with you every day. And this is important. This is a God who is the creator of everything, who's not far away removed from us. This is a God who came down from heaven to be with us, who's interested in you, 
who knows your name and knows the bad things better than you about yourself. And he still calls you by your name and calls you out and saves you and lays down his life for you. If you want to know how much God knows you, you can read Psalm 139. I actually want to leave you homework. Go and read Psalm 139 this week and understand how much God knows you. When I read that psalm for the first time, after, after years of being a Christian, I was like, wow, this is incredible. This is how God lo- loves me and knows me. So you can know that God listens to you, cares for you, knows you. He knows not just your name. He knows absolutely everything about you. He loves you. Jesus is gathering his sheep. Jesus came to gather his sheep, and he's doing it through his word. He's calling you out through his word, and he's also calling you out individually by your name. And knowing the voice of God will help us because we will not follow strangers. Verse 5 says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. If you know the word of God, you will flee from higher hands and thieves. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus was talking to this. Uh, Jesus was talking to the crowd and indirectly talking to the Pharisees, and they did not understand him. Verse six says this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then Jesus goes on to develop more. Verse 7 says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now Jesus makes it very clear. He doesn't just vaguely talk about the door and how the higher hand and the thieves jump the door or the fence. Now he calls himself, I am the door. And this is important. Because he is the door to abundant life. He will later tell us that he is gathering his sheep to give us abundant life. But I want to I camp a little bit and develop this topic of the door. What does it mean that Jesus calls himself the door? Or that he says that anyone who does not go through the door is a thief. That's pretty radical, especially if he is the door. What does it mean that he is the door or the gate? He actually develops this even more in in a few chapters later in John 14. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he's not only the door. He is also the way. And he's also the truth. And he's also the end of the road, which is the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is important for us today Because as Christians, we hold to this truth that Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And if Jesus is gathering his sheep to give him abundant life, and you are one of those sheep, you need to come to terms with this radical and exclusive claim from Jesus. That he is the only way. I know that today, in our society, this sounds very difficult to swallow. You mean there's only one way? You mean the Bible says there's only one way? 
And the answer to that is yes. The Bible says that there's only one way. There's only one way to enter to heaven. There's only one way to receive salvation. There's only one way to know the Father, the creator of everything. And that is through Jesus. And if you're a believer, you have to affirm that. Even though we know that today it sounds really bad. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm pretty sure that it, that is one of the biggest objections you've heard, especially today, to our faith. <clears throat> it's very radical. It's not tolerant. It's very exclusive. And in fact, it is. But at the same time, it is also inclusive because this door is open to everyone. The door is not exclusive. The door is open to absolutely everyone. God came to die for everyone. And you decide whether you go through that door or not. Even though he is the one who calls you by name and leads you out. You deal with that. This is important for us. As sheep, we need to understand that there's only one, one, only one shepherd, and it's Jesus. There's only one way to go to heaven. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that is Jesus Christ. And this is why it is important for us to understand this, because as Christians, we cannot be half Christian. Everything that we read in the Bible is radical. Everything that we read in the Bible is either you take it or you leave it. There is no middle ground in the Bible to be a Christian. You cannot be half Christian, have something else. You cannot be Christian combined with, there's no hybrids in Christianity. In fact, there's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life, and that is Jesus. And as his sheep that are being gathered, we need to understand this. We need to understand that the only way to salvation is Christ. This is what the, the thieves do. They bypass the gate and they get to us in different ways. Since Jesus claimed that he is the only way to salvation by calling himself the door or the gate, anyone who claims a way of salvation other than Jesus is robbing people from the truth. And just as the thief climbs over the wall, bypassing the gate, false teachers attempt to bypass Jesus to benefit themselves through people. Those like the Pharisees, what they do is they put man-made requirements on people in order to earn their own salvation. And that makes them false teachers. They steal, they rob people from the ability to see the truth of salvation who is Jesus and the difference the biggest difference is that Jesus brings us salvation by grace all the false teachers bring us or offer us salvation in any other way which is you need to earn it The difference between the gate that is open for everyone is that all you need to do is enter. Everything has been done for you. You don't need to 
earn the door. You don't need to build the door. You don't need to do anything. Just walk through the door because the door was created for you, and it's by grace that you can enter the door. Anyone else, the robbers, the thieves, the higher hands, the ones who bypass, find other ways to get to the other side, are the ones that say, you have to earn it. You have to build your own ladder. You have to climb up. You have to be smart enough. You have to know. You have to behave. You have to do these things. And those people are robbing all of us from the grace of Jesus Christ because they don't care about us. They care about themselves. And this is why, as Christians, it is so important that we hold to the truth that Jesus is the only way, the only door, the only truth. <clears throat> Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, says he has a book called The, the King's Cross, and, and I highly recommend that. He says the following. He says, the gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that has been done for you, that changes your status forever. Right there, you can see the difference between Christianity and all other religions, including no religion. The essence of other religions is, is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say, this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says... This is what has been done in, in history. This is how Jesus lived and died to earn the way to God for you. Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news. I've heard himself, Tim Keller, use the example that other religions are basically a lifeguard outside of the pool looking at you drowning and tossing you a lifesaver. Is that the donut thing? Yeah. And then just yelling, grab it. Pull yourself out. That's what other religions are. The difference with other religions is that in Christianity, the lifeguard jumps into the pool, grabs you out of the pool, takes you and gives you CPR, and then takes you back home and makes you his son and loves you forever. That's the difference with Christianity. We're not about how you need to behave. We're all about what Jesus has done for us. And we'll develop that in a minute too. Verse 9 continues to say, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then <clears throat> one of the most famous verses in Scripture comes. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. <clears throat> I have several things to say about that. Number one, I think it's one of the most distorted verses in the Bible because Jesus is not necessarily explicitly talking about Satan. I know that's what you thought. But if you read it in context, he's not talking about Satan. He's talking about these false teachers again, about the Pharisees who are trying to destroy and to kill. Of course they are influenced, and you could also attribute that to Satan because that's exactly what he does. So it's not entirely wrong. But primarily, he's not necessarily talking about Satan. And then, 
The second mistake we make is that we not only think that this is Satan, but it includes also false teachers, is that we believe that when Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, we're only thinking of the future life. The life that is full or abundant is not only or exclusively a spiritual, ethereal, future life. No. And I believe that in reaction to the prosperity gospel, we have swung to the other extreme and we have denied this world and anything that has to do with this world and now we put our eyes on the future as our only hope. And even though that might be sort of true, it's not entirely true. Because if you think about this, Everything in the message of the gospel, everything in the message of salvation has to do with past, present, and future. In fact, the gospel is not just a message. It's actually one of the most complex and beautiful messages in the world. It's, 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 it's a historic message. It's a soteriologic message. It's a uh, sociological message. It's all kinds of things message because it has to do with all of humanity. It goes back to the garden, restores the original commandment. It goes through the Old Testament and helps us understand the Old Testament. And then he walks us through the New Testament and points us to glorification. But there's this middle section that we are living in right now that is also part of that. And when you talk about salvation, we talk about we were predestined, we were foreknown, we were called right here, we are being sanctified, and we will be glorified. And the exact same thing happens to the message of salvation. It is not just something that we will get one day. It's something that we're all also getting right now abundant life the life that Jesus came to give us is not just for the end it's also for today and as a Christian as a, as part of the sheepfold of Jesus you need to understand that he's not looking to a future moment where he is going to bless you no he also wants to bless you right now and in fact he cares about you right now he cares about our issues right now he cares about our problems and all of the things that we are going through our salvation includes our current problems emotional physical and all kinds of it, financial, anything. Jesus came to give us abundant life. And the life that God has provided and given to us starts now as well. It is not perfect now because we live in an imperfect world, in a fallen world. We will not see it yet in its fullness, but we can experience God's mercy, God's grace, God's peace, God's joy now, in the midst of a difficult life. In fact, the whole thing that we're talking about started, was sparked because Jesus again healed a blind man. Jesus didn't come to this guy and said, repent for the kingdom of God has come. Go. You're free. No. He healed a man. He fed the thousands. He cared about them in the moment as well. This happens again and again. Jesus comes to give us abundant life. And the abundant life that Jesus gives us starts today 
and will be perfect tomorrow. <clears throat> Think about what a door means for a moment. Jesus is our gate. And a gate could have different functions. One of the functions of the gate is to act, give you access to something. And Jesus gives us access to eternal life and to abundant life. But something else that the door does is that the door also pro provides protection. A door provides safety, peace, freedom. It provides intimacy. What do you do when you enter your house? You close the door. I mean, unless you like to leave your door open. But there are things that you can do when the door is closed, and there are things you cannot do when the door is not closed. Jesus gives us access to beautiful things, but Jesus also provides protection for all of us. He gives us peace. He gives you the freedom. It's basically, Jesus is, when you come into Jesus, you can take your clothes off and just rest. Because that's what we do when we come through our door, close the door after a big day, and we can rest in our house. Jesus is gathering his sheep to give them abundant life that begins today. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life as well. He's not only the means, he's also the end of everything. And all of this is offered to us freely by grace. And the last thing I want to say, how is Jesus accomplishing this? How is Jesus gathering his sheep, and providing abundant life. He tells us in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but my experience is that the sheep actually give their lives for the shepherd. I don't know, but in Mexico we have barbacoa, we have birria, We have really good tacos that we make out of these sheep, and they're awesome. And we actually feed them so that one day they'll give their life for us and for our friends. Right? But here we have a shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. And this is an impressive claim that Jesus made because it goes against everyone or how people think. People usually don't think that a pastor is going to give their life for the sheep. It's the other way around. But again, Jesus is setting the example for all of us as Christians that it's not about what we do. It's about our shepherd. He is laying his life down for us. And I want to make sure we understand that our faith is a strong faith, not because of us, but because of our shepherd. Our faith is a good faith, not because of us, but because of our shepherd. Everything about who we are is about him. It's not about us. In fact, whatever has to do with us is not actually very nice. And I've talked about this before because it's actually pretty cool to talk about the shepherd and the sheep because in the kids' books, the sheep are also really fluffy and nice-looking and really uh, tame and whatever. But in reality, sheep are not like that. And if we're a sheep, if we are sheep, we're not like that. 
We usually think of sheep as cute, fluffy, snow-white animals. And sometimes we tend to think about ourselves like that as well. But the reality of the passage is that the, the sheep that Jesus is talking about are not cute, they're not fluffy, they're not huggable sheep. They're actually ugly, stinky, sin-enslaved, hard-headed, dead in their trespasses, sinful, rebellious sheep. And they run away from the shepherd. Jesus died for sheep that are not good-looking. Jesus died for, si- for sins, sinners like you and I. And then he moves on to say, in contrast, the higher hand does not love the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. But he, Jesus, loves the sheep. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is what he does. He dies for us. He knows us. He knows our name from before we were even created. Ephesians 1 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is the God who loves us. Let me explain to you what it means that Jesus laid down his life for all of us. Jesus says this at least three different times in this passage. And what it means is that even though we are horrible sheep, he comes and he takes all of our sins. Jesus is our substitute. Christianity is about what Jesus did. Christianity means that we as Christians, we're not better than anyone. We're not more moral or we're not better than anyone in any other religion or outside of the world. It means that Jesus saw us and he saw how horrible we were, how sinful we were, how much we were running away from him and how much we loved our sin that he realized they're not going to be able to come to me, so I'm going to have to go to them. So he jumps into this pool. He comes. He takes us back. He heals us. He cares for us. He dies in our place. He pays the price that we needed to pray for our sins. On the cross, he's punished in our place, and he takes all our punishment, and he forgives us. He washes us. This is the gospel. The gospel means that you don't have to do anything. Jesus is doing it for you and has already done it for you. That is the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that Jesus died for the sheep out of his own initiative, not because the sheep wanted. Nobody took Jesus' life. He gave it himself. He was not forced to do it. He was not plan B. He was not a rescue plan, an emergency plan. No, this was already known since before the foundation of the world. And Jesus comes and grabs us. And this is important for us because, again, he is the door and he opens the door to everyone. There's only one door, but that door is absolutely wide open for everybody. Jesus is the only one that is 
powerful enough to overcome death. Jesus is the only one who's powerful enough to overcome sin. Jesus is the only powerful enough to overcome Satan. And those were our three biggest enemies. And if you are dealing with sin and you feel trapped by your mistakes and your sin and the things that you hate about yourself, and if you are dealing with fear of death and you know that you can't get out of this horrible cycle of life you're in, there's only one person that can free you from that, and that is Jesus. And he has already done it for you. All you have to do is walk through that door and find eternal, abundant life that starts today. The gospel is not a religion because the gospel is not about what you do. The gospel, Christianity, is about a person and what that person did for you. And his name is Jesus. And he did it on the cross. And he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So if you're here and you're listening to this, and you hear the voice of a shepherd calling you, and you feel a tug in your heart, he might be calling you through his word to his sheepfold. And if you're here and you know that he is your shepherd, then go back to him, draw near to him. And I want to finish by just reading the last three verses. The Jews who heard those words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And this is, uh, again, an invitation for those of us or you who are not believers. You basically have two options. If Jesus is not the shepherd or the gate or the life or the way or the truth, then he is absolutely crazy. You would not believe a man. You would never say about a man who said these things that he's a good master, that he's a moral, uh, a moral teacher that was good and walked the earth 2,000 years ago. No. You basically have two options with Jesus and the Bible. You either accept it and embrace it or reject it because the Bible says some crazy stuff. And Jesus said some crazy stuff. So either they are true or he's completely mad. And I want to ask you that question. Who is Jesus to you? And the gospel requires a response. The gospel requires you to cross the door and to make a decision. And the decision is, I'm going to leave my life behind and I'm going to walk through this door or I'm going to stay outside of the door and stay where I am and not walk through the door and keep my own life. And I want to invite you to repent, which means turning around from your life, asking God for forgiveness, and believe, which is walking through that door. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There was no behavior involved in that. There was no 
change of attitude involved in that. It was just a confession and a belief. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God is Lord and Savior and that God raised him from the dead, Jesus is Lord and Savior, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So I wanted you to ponder on this question, what, who is Jesus for me? And make a decision accordingly. And if you're a believer, I just want to leave you with this thing. As believers, we are called to be little Jesus. We're supposed to imitate Jesus in what we do. Number one, I want you, all of us, to understand that God cares about the whole of us. But God also cares about the whole of other people. The message that we preach is not just a verbal message. It's also something we need to demonstrate with our actions. And we need to do the same that Jesus has done for us for others. Christianity is not a concept. It's also action. You cannot be a Christian by coming to church and reading your Bible and doing nothing about it. Your faith requires action. The Bible, in fact, says in the book of James that if you have no works, you have no faith. There is not a Christian that does not share his faith. There is not a Christian that does not care about his neighbors because the, the core of Christianity is belief and acting upon it. So I want to encourage us all to continue to do what the Good Shepherd has done for us. Go out, preach the good news of, of, of the gospel to others, and go out and care for the others as well. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your message. We thank you for your word. Thank you because you are a God who loves us. I want to thank you for laying down your life for us. And I want to thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving sheep that are not nice. Lord, I pray that today through your spirit you will move us to come back to you, be closer to you as your sheep, and to imitate you in giving uh, life to others around us as well. Help us cling to you, get close to you, and love others in the same way you have loved us. And Lord, I want to pray for those who are here who don't know you. I pray that you will bring salvation as well. I pray that you will speak to their lives through your Holy Spirit and lead them to repentance. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.